Hi, everyone. I'm Ben. Welcome to Being the Work, a podcast by helpers for helpers about our real lives out here trying to just make the world a better place, about the problems that we have and the support we need to bring some humanity back to self-care. As helpers, we know that we need to take care of ourselves and we need know we need to be well to be able to take a, do our jobs and to do it ethically and all of that. But who's out here helping us beside us? So that's why we're here. This is a community of people who want support, who know and honor this work. Today we have a wonderful conversation with an old supervisor of mine, Annis. She is just hilarious. It's so good to catch up with her. She was one of the first people in my career to really model being a human and being a helper all at the same time. It was just so awesome, and it's so great to catch up with her. So you'll notice a slight change in the audio quality. We recorded on location and afterward, we got to hang out with the uh, practicum internship class that Annis was teaching. That was a ton of fun. Uh, thank you, everyone, for having us out. It was so great to meet you. And thanks, Annis, for having us out. It was uh, just a, a blast to hang out with y'all. And before we get started, she wanted me to let you know that there was a quote she had that she wanted to clarify. The quote was about a musician, Charlie Parker, and uh, she misquoted him or attributed it to someone else, but she said something funny. It was, if you don't live it, it won't come out of your horn. What could she be talking about? I'll let you figure that out. But one last thing. So we have uh, the ability to see that people are listening. Uh, to the podcast and we really appreciate all of you that are listening and this is for you and so we want to make it the best we can and we want it to meet your needs not just be some people up here just talking in a microphone self-serving and so we just want to ask a favor if you could go to apple podcasts because uh, that's the biggest platform right now and Give us a review. Let us know maybe what you've enjoyed about it or what your favorite episode or interview has been so far. But also you could provide us a little bit of feedback. Also, if you want to just do that directly, uh, we'd love to chat with you. You can get a hold of us at Being the Work on Instagram or you can uh, email us, beingthework at gmail.com. So anyways, uh, we really appreciate you all. Let's get started. I am so excited um, to have this wonderful person on our podcast. <laughs> um, blast from the past. Put things up on Instagram. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, today is, our, is a special bonus episode of being the work, or what are we called? <laughs> <laughs> Who are we? What do we do? Ben's out of his bubble. Yes, um, we've decided that adding extra voices to what tends to start feeling like a feedback loop between just me and Ben and me and Ben and me and Ben. And so adding more perspectives and building more relationships and just 
cracking outside of the the bubbles that we've been in for literally three years now is just where we're at. Yeah, because we spin and spin and spin and spin in in our own little bubble. And yeah, um, Blakely Annis was my supervisor at a child welfare organization here in town, and Annis, you were one of the most influential supervisors I've ever had. Wow. I I was at our organization during my master's degree and I was young and willing and ready and just like full of enthusiasm, trying my best to make sense of whatever the hell I was trying to learn and learn about life and be exposed to new things. And never once did I feel like, I'm going to say it this way, I always felt encouraged to explore and to try new things and to think out loud. It was, it was incredible. It was, that was, it was formative. Um, I think, I don't know how we got to it, but uh, we had a motivational interviewing group <laughs> that we started yeah. just because we were like, we wanted to. Um, and that was all, all for you. That was all you. Like, I don't know that I had any influence really. You showed up to every meeting. <laughs> You're the only I person who showed up every time. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that this guy is an, a nerd for motivational interviewing. I know that. And I'm connecting dots as to potentially why, <laughs> but it was like, it was, in keeping with the spirit of MI, it was not mandatory, right? So we were like trying to, <laughs> that was, that was purposeful. Like if you, want, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, if you want to learn this, show up. If you don't, yeah. that's okay. And yeah. Show up when you're ready. <laughs> it was like the, the next step after just pure helping skills. Cause that's what I was learning at the time. And of course I'm just, I'm, I mean, I want knowledge. I'm always trying to. Yeah, I, I remember that about you. I remember, yeah, that you were really easy to supervise because you were interested in the work. And so having those conversations was, it just felt natural. This leads into a question I was going to ask you is, what is your, what, what has been your experience of me? The question is not to get, <laughs> <laughs> not to fish for compliments. So. The reason I want to ask this is because I've been editing the show and I've been listening to my voice. I get quite annoyed by it, but not enough to stop. If mm -hmm. that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But I want to, I feel like just like I'm in the, in the realm of let's learn about who I am and, and how do I affect people? Uh -huh. And so anyway, I just wanted, you don't have to feel like, uh, you've got to say nice things. So anyways, well, I, I can be honest and be nice. Do it. Do it. I want honesty. <laughs> You're someone that, um, that I refer to, um, fairly, I don't know, frequently might not, I don't know, on occasion, um, when I'm talking with other people or when I'm teaching, I often refer to experiences that I had supervising you either, um, your interest in figuring things out or mm -hmm. I remember specifically and probably because we were doing motivational interviewing um, you had already had some practice with asking reflective questions and had yeah. gone through that class where you 
you could only reflect, right? Um, which I found fascinating, and you were really good at it already. And so um, that made learning MI more fun because we could go to the other levels and look at other stuff, and you were engaged in that process with me, which was really fun. I also remember um, we were practicing the reflective listening once, and I think you and another person, we were doing that exercise where you each pick uh, an opinion that you're about a thing that you genuinely disagree about, and you sat opposite one another, and the, the other few of us who were there observed, and you they made their point, and then you reflected back what you heard, and then you made your point, and they reflected back, and you did that back, and the two of you were very not in agreement when you started, and then this moment shifted when the other person felt heard by you, and it was like you like the room felt the shift. It was so great. And that was one of my favorite moments of how powerful that can be to genuinely listen and reflect and try to understand someone. That's amazing. I'm I'm jealous that I didn't get to listen. (laughs) You would be. I wanted to feel the shift. (laughs) I think you did in the moment because the both of you then, it changed the whole conversation and we processed it afterward. Oh, that's like around the time I was like, I could be her friend. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I love that. Blakely, I'm excited for you to meet in. Yeah. It's good. (laughs) I don't have anything to say about you, though. Mm, You will. Other than... It comes around eventually. We'll save it to the end. <laughs> and now what is your evaluation? Yeah, we'll, get, we'll do the post eval. Totally anonymous. <laughs> yeah, well, when we, you know, you're highly evaluated as an adjunct at the university where I teach. Sure, <laughs> sure. You're, and uh, this is the first year, I think, that they've completely done those online. Um, and I've done this for 10 or 12 years. Um, but normally on eval hmm. day, I bring cookies. <laughs> ah, right. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know your just, papers aren't graded, but here's some cookies. <laughs> yeah. Just a little bonus. <laughs> I'd better have a cookie. Right? Just, yeah. Really? <laughs> then your paper's graded. I, what day? I can tell you is that I still wonder about a couple of grades on my <clears throat> social policy mm. papers. Mm. And if I had a, I didn't get a cookie and that may oh, have. Oh, yeah. I might not still be well, salty ra- about it 13 years later. <laughs> oh. Rate my professor says I'm an easy grader. And I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, if you turn it in and you put out the effort and you made an effort. Sure. Yeah, you get the points. I'm still going to give you lots of feedback. Do with that what you will. Grow or don't. I don't know. Grow or don't. You're paying for it. I'm not going to force you. This by is giving... really expensive. You should probably just yeah. go through the yeah. process. Read actually. my remarks. Take it to heart. <laughs> I didn't know that you were, do, you've been an adjunct for that long. Yeah. I took a one semester break during the pandemic because I just couldn't anymore with that shit. And then I was like, yeah, oh yeah, I don't want that money. Yeah. yeah. But I'm, this is actually my last though. I'm done. I feel myself phoning it in, which I don't want to do. People, mm-hmm. people are paying a lot of money and they deserve me to actually bring my best work. Yeah. So, yeah, I get that. I get that. I found myself um, teaching a class and um, I've ad- been an adjunct as well. And um, I was trying to be funny and sarcastic. Not. Was that when you did this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did that. <laughs> I did that to the class. Yeah. yeah. It was a gesture. 
Yeah. Um, that's inappropriate. Interpret. Well, you know, I had like half. I mean, it's a performance art, right? Like you are up there trying to entertain, also inform, you know, and some people appreciate that gesture and some don't. Yeah. Every once in a while, you just need a little fuck you. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't disagree. I had half, half laughed. Uh, half didn't, <laughs> and a few were very excited. <laughs> went to your supervisor. <laughs> hey, you didn't bring cookies, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah. I, uh, at the end of the semester, I, I went, I, I had a conversation with them and was like, hey, I really am very sorry about that. I was not, I should not have been here. It was a semester, I think it was, it was a semester where, um, my father-in-law had just like really started ramping up with a lot mm. of health problems and we were still kind of in the, in the midst of the pandemic, but it was in that middle ground of, is this still a problem or is it not? And I, I, yeah, it was, it was a bad time. I haven't wanted to teach since then because I knew I didn't like the, my, that version of me. Well, and, I, and I've, been, I've been thinking a lot about, because we were talking about teaching when we met a few weeks ago, about um, what exactly it is that's grinding me down. <laughs> 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 that's probably not fair. But, um, but what it is that I'm tiring of, and I, I think the way I conceptualize teaching and the way I present it to students when they get frustrated by it, the mechanical forced feeling of role plays and videos and all that is that this is a lot like learning an instrument. And right now you are learning your pentatonic blues scale. <laughs> and I need you to do it over and over and over again until it comes naturally. And then you get to improvise and then you riff and you go with the flow and you're listening to who else is in the room. And yeah. <laughs> and I'm just tired of scale. I'm at a point in my own career and thought processes that that stuff just feels super limiting. And I can't get my brain there in a way that's helpful to students anymore. Because I'm like, I'll come in and be like, I want to talk about all the deep questions and the, and some students love that, but it's not teaching them the scales. And so I, I feel like I'm not preparing them that well. Is that is uh, like the pentatonic scales or I'm going through them in my head on, <laughs> on my guitar right now, but I'm also thinking about how the students that I was teaching, like want them wanting the scales mm. and me not wanting to teach them. Yeah. There's some of that too. That's and me true. wanting to, but I want you to think I want to be up there like improvising. I want you guys to be my band. I want you to be here with me and ha be my peer. But I, I do think that one of the scales <laughs> to stay with that metaphor is who are you? What do you believe? What like doing your own work too. And I think you can kind of tell who in the room is doing their own work and paying attention to what all this means and who is going to do scales for the rest of their life. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's funny because where we're, where we are right now is where I got my master's and I mean, this building in particular and like that, that you're talking about the self-exploration that I was going through in those years, like 
sweeps back at me as I walk in here. Like walking the halls, I remember conversations I had and things I was thinking about and and just how important that time was in better understanding who I was in order to be able to apply whatever that is to actually help people out in the world. And I don't know that I understood that that was what I was walking through at the time. I mean, I knew that it was learning new things all the time and constant brain drain and just like thinking about my values and learning like actual concrete facts and and things at the same time. And so when you say that, it's really striking as I'm sitting in here and it's all kind of coming back to me anyway. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. The, I, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know what was happening, but I felt the growth mm-hmm. in that whole process. Yeah. Yeah. I just love the way you put that. I feel it. Speaking of the whole like journey of where, where people start and whether or not they get to be improvisers or <laughs> whether or not they just do scales the rest of their life. Or something in between. Or both and. <laughs> Some jingles. How did you get into this and how did you catch the bug to even want to help people like take us back to yeah like key moments in your life yeah that's it's it's not a it's not a short story (laughs) so I'm gonna try to shorten it um I think I've known all of my life as far back as I can remember it it probably started with faith with church Mm -hmm. that idea of doing for others when I was in high school, I was part of a district-wide mission trip to the UN mm. and Washington, D.C. to study homelessness. And I remember being really impacted then about, I mean, I'm from a small town in Kansas, just a few miles down the road. Um, and I hadn't ever experienced that really. And so that was really mm-hmm. an eye-opener um, and knew at some point I wanted to do some kind of work to help people. Um, I have an aunt and uncle who were part of a mission program for the Methodist Church, the two-year domestic mission program, and they were in Appalachia. Um, And uh, they ended up living in North Carolina, and I went and spent a summer with them and really was, you know, oh, I want to be like them. I want to do that. Um, They were there on mission. They were in Kentucky on the mission uh, and then moved to North Carolina and did all kinds of other cool stuff. But it was all very community oriented mm-hmm. and um, intentional, and uh, like service oriented kind of thing. Yeah, or? more community. I think. Yeah, they had a group of friends that they started a restaurant with and grew all their own food. And right, right. They're from the '60s, and mm-hmm. so you know all that good stuff. But <laughs> anyway, they they were inspiring to me. Yeah. But when I graduated from college with my bachelor's degree in French. Um, (laughs) I had no marketable skills. (laughs) So my best friend and I moved to Seattle and I ended up, uh, it's 1991. I ended up, uh, working for Starbucks and that's right. Yeah. Where, which was an actually formative experience. It really actually set the tone for lots of things that I continue to, to use today. But, um, but while I was there, I mean, I was making coffee, right? Like, which was great. And it was a good company and it was a little regional company. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they, uh, but I wanted to do something more meaningful. And a friend of mine said, well, if you want to get into graduate school for social work, you should be a CASA volunteer. So I did that while I was wow. in Seattle. And that was my first exposure to 
really being in people's lives and helping them. And so uh, that really um, helped me catch the bug. So then I eventually applied for that same mission program. Um, yeah. It's a US2 is what it's called through the Methodist Church and okay. was sent to Louisville, Kentucky to work for um, a welfare to work program. The whole Newt Gingrich, Bill Clinton uh, agreement with welfare had just happened. And so welfare to work was the big thing. So I went, mm. I went to teach computer skills to women who were on welfare to help them get jobs. Got it. And I had never really used a computer. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so that, that, that sounds kind of, like a first social work job. Yeah. yeah. And then the next year with my degree in French and my management experience at Starbucks, um, they promoted me to direct the program because <laughs> the guy who had been in charge decided to go back to seminary or something. And so now I'm in charge of this program. So I went back to school and got my master's while I was there because, okay, I, I need some more information. <laughs> Yeah, I need to yeah, know some things besides French and coffee. <laughs> okay, so like what is it that, like take me inside when you know you are, you have the passion mm-hmm. to help um, and, but you know you also don't have the experience that you need to feel like really effective. Meaning like you've never, you, you said you never uh, used a computer before really, mm-hmm. yeah. but you were teaching. So there, to me, that says there's a commitment to figure it out. Yeah. And there's a reason, a, a different reason you're there. Like it's not about computer skills. Right. So I want to know like sort of that experience on the inside of like, what was it about the situation that you were so committed to well and what was it about you yeah yeah I think the thing about me that was helpful then and sometimes gets me in trouble is if you put something in front of me and says there's a need here I'm like all right I'll figure that out like I I'll tell you yeah I can do that I I (laughs) so I read a book called um oh shoot uh revolution of the heart and it was written by the guy who was Gary Hart's campaign manager. You might be too young. <laughs> Gary Hart was a presidential candidate who dared the media to follow him around because they were saying he had an affair. And so they did. And they caught him <laughs> on his boat called Monkey Business. So, and that destroyed his career, right? Gary Hart, also from the same small town that I'm from. So anyway, his campaign manager (laughs) went to work for um, the, um, I think it's like Taste Taste of Seattle, Taste of those, those, the group that put those on. Um, Anyway, and he wrote a book about social entrepreneurism. It was kind of one of the, it was a new idea at the time that you don't just have to ask for money. You can actually create income for your program and do, you know, generate your own revenue. Don't just keep relying on asking for money which I thought was fantastic. So I went to my boss, who was a fantastic supervisor, um, and said, yeah, go for it. I said, I, I want to do that. So we've got this jobs training program where women are learning how to use computers and how to do all these office skills. And we noticed that when they would get to the end of that program, they would put on the brakes because they were scared and they didn't, have, they didn't want to go out into the world and fail. And they didn't, I mean, it was scary. So my proposal was that we get a space downtown, which we did. Um, We wrote a grant, got some money, opened the space, and moved the program down there where one big room was where we did the teaching, and then we had a business office 
where where students could then do an internship between the time they finished the program and got a job. And we would do all kinds of different office support work downtown. And then so they could do actual work, but get their feet wet and right. And actually build a resume. Yeah. And build a resume, say, I've actually done this. Here are projects I did. Here are things I did. Here are skills I've been able to show. Like we would get, I remember there was a company in the building and um, a guy came down to us and asked us, you know, could we build an access database? Of course we can. So I spent a weekend with an Access for Dummies book and his request for a database, and I built one. <laughs> so, and then talked with students about, okay, here's what I've done. Let's yeah. look at that, right? So sometimes it's a problem <laughs> 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 that, you know, like I had a, a manager in Seattle told me that um, when I applied for a job with them, like I applied for a different job in the company. I wanted to move up, be, in my, be a manager of a store. And the district manager told me that someone else had warned them, be careful, she interviews well. Be careful. <laughs> be careful. Right? Because if you say, can you do that? Yeah, she can. And then I'll go figure it out. <laughs> be careful, she lies. She interviews well. She yeah. interviews well. <laughs> She's very optimistic, an idealist here. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. She's going to tell you what you want to hear. Yeah. She reads you. She sees you. Anyway, so most of the, so it's not so much a I feel obligated or I need mm-hmm. to. It's just there's a challenge in front of me, and so yeah. and, and that I find that motivating and compelling. And well, and forgive me, Anna. I don't know you, and Ben does. And I skipped over a little bit of the the shorthand that in some interviews with newish people that we use. Can you can you tell me something about just your personality? Like even just Enneagram or your Myers-Briggs or your Zodiac sign. Just sure. something that gives a little shorthand of what uh-huh. makes you tick. I'm an Aries XNFP number nine. <laughs> okay. That tells me so much. Right. So, yeah, yeah I'm oh. a nine, Enneagram okay. nine. As you're talking, I'm like, oh my God, this is me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm an XNFP and I'm a nine. Yeah. What's an Aries, Blakely? Aries? Um, stubborn, willful. My way or the highway. Yeah. That's what reads to me is the... Yeah. Okay, I'm going to do it. Because I'm also a nine. So I'm like, hey, you know, I'm not trying to... My husband likes to say, I'm not trying to tell you how to live. (laughs) It's very motivational interviewing. (laughs) Take my feedback or don't. I don't... It's your career. You ask. Which is a problem too sometimes, right? Like I'm noticing as a clinician, that can be a problem. As a parent, it can be a problem. <laughs> it's your childhood. Do what you want. <laughs> it's your childhood. You want to screw it up? Yeah. Go for it. Enjoy. Um, no, but I am noticing that there are some, I'm trying to read clients in a different way as far as, like, like if someone comes to me with a problem, I feel like I can see mm. what's underneath it and what might need to be resolved, but that isn't always what the client's asking for. and so. I'm learning to do a little bit more teaching as a therapist and mm-hmm. not just let's explore that. Right. Cause some people are like, I'm, I really just want to know how do I deal with this strong emotion? So um, anyway. So what have you, what have you, what are you putting together Blakely of what you've heard so far? Like, you know, Aries XNFP <laughs> nine, nine, nine is mediator, peace and comfort mediator. We weren't uh, heard as children. Yeah, Aries <laughs> has that that will. Um, and then the, of course, X is, is um, ambiverts. Mm-hmm. And 
NPs are, all of us are NPs. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm a T, but I'm an INTP. And so the NPs, idealists, not great with time. Um, Are you late a lot? Uh, I used to be. I think, yeah, as I get older, it all comes a little bit more towards the middle. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of that makes sense, especially in what you've already said. Like, put the challenge in front of me. I'm going to get it done. But I'm a sprinter. I am not a marathon runner. Mm. Right? Give me a challenge. Let's get that done. Let's get it. Oh, it's day to day, day in, day out. (laughs) Where's the next challenge? Change the scenery. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. Why people, though? Because you could take that skill and anywhere, anywhere you want. That, that I think has to do more with meaning making. Yeah. I remember applying for that position as a missionary. I'm in Seattle working at Starbucks. I'm pretty sure part of my application said, um, I think there are enough people in the world to make coffee. I want to do something that has a little bit more meaning. No shade to those whose lives are all about coffee. It's necessary and Mm -hmm. I happily enjoy it. I appreciate the work. Yes. (laughs) But um, for me, it just felt like it wasn't enough. And occasionally I'll kind of try to you know, you get that, those moments where you're like, oh my God, if I could just make coffee again mm-hmm. and not worry about all of this other stuff. Uh, and in those moments, it is not fulfilling. Where do you feel like once you decided to take this track, where do you feel like you ran into one of those times that you were just maybe even seriously considering making coffee instead? Mm-hmm. And what do you, what'd you do with that? How did you find your way back to, you know, the path? Yeah. That felt more meaningful. I think I never jumped completely off the track, <laughs> but um, after getting my master's in Louisville, uh, I came back to Kansas City for a year <laughs> before I moved to Brazil because <laughs> <laughs> I met a man. So oh, um, why did they do that? I met him in Louisville. I met his brother came to live with me in Louisville. Anyway, went to visit his brother. He was really cute. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I I was in. I was living on the plaza for a year and uh, was doing PRN social work and doing some um, just temp work, just paying the bills, right? Uh, and that was back in the day when you didn't really have to have a license to do social oh, work. Oh, sure. Right? Mm. In Missouri. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so I had some just regular old secretarial stuff and occasionally I'd get to do something social worky. Uh, and then to, because Starbucks has really great benefits and you only have to work 20 hours a week, I worked at the Starbucks down the street. So I had my Starbucks and often office work moments and it, I just, mm-mm, I didn't, I mean, I appreciated the insurance and, but it, it, I craved those social work gigs. I really wanted to be with people and do things that felt meaningful. Like, do you remember a hard time that you went through? that started to shift some of the motivation, meaning like what I think what Blakely said in our first season that really hit me was what motivates us to be here and to come into this work doesn't keep us here. Like it's not good enough to keep us going. Um, And uh, man, I know for sure, like I, I totally forgot. I don't know how I forgot, but I knew you worked at Starbucks and I worked at Starbucks too. And like, that's where I learned. That's where I learned that whatever I have 
I can connect with people over meaningful things in a short period of time. Mm -hmm. I was not super fast on the bar and I never, so I got, (laughs) and I wasn't, I was messy. Ben's not fast at assessments either. (laughs) (laughs) Fast is not something that anyone would ever use to describe me. (laughs) So I go slow, I get close. This is what I do. So, um, but so I got relegated to the drive-thru and I had, I mean, we would shoot for like 30 seconds or whatever at the drive-thru, get in and out, in and out, right? But I would know like, oh, that, that lady knows that, I, I mean, she's told me that she can't have children. Um, this one told me about her mom dying. This one told me about her divorce. And so like, I knew people's lives and their drinks. Like that was, that was a part of it. And so... There are times where I'm just overwhelmed by this work. I'm overwhelmed by it. I'm super stressed out. I've been in people's minds for too long and ignoring myself and not tending to my needs. And then I've, I go, well, the answer must be to go back to Starbucks. Right, right. <laughs> So what, what have you gone through where you've had that thought? Well, I guess the, the answer might be yeah. to go back to Starbucks or something more. Well, you were there for my watershed moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I didn't, I didn't leave the profession. I'm sure that I thought about going back to Starbucks at that point. And it might have had less to do with the work, but I was, mm-hmm. I was going through a really tough uh, the, the, the Brazilian and I were breaking up. We were going to get a divorce. Um, and so, you know, just that whole, Mm -hmm. all the months and years that kind of lead up to that and the struggle. And then the, here's the thing that's going to be the catalyst. Yeah. Um, all that was super painful and really difficult. And I was still working for the agency that we were at, um, but in a different position and I was doing more therapy and I was in an office alone doing therapy with people. And I was not managing myself well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came really close to crossing some serious boundaries with people mm. because I wasn't self-aware enough to know that I was a mess and I needed to get out of there. Um, thankfully, I didn't. Nothing happened. And I, but I remember thinking, whoa, <laughs> Feeling that what is happening here? Mm-hmm. And so I left that job um, because I, I, I remember telling my supervisor at the time, I feel like an alcoholic working in a bar right now and I can't, mm. I just need to leave. I, I can't manage this in this environment. And so I went to work for a, a different agency in town that worked with um, high accountability professionals and it was a super clinical job. Um, and at the time I, 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 I craved that structure that sure. I was going to be in an office. My, my hours were going to be this, my groups were going to be mm-hmm. this, everything was going to be super structured and there were a lot of people around. So there mm-hmm. was no, it, it was just much more um, structured than I had for quite a while. And that was super helpful. It was also helpful to have clients who were coming to treatment. These were primarily doctors coming to treatment because they had boundary violations or because their marriages were in trouble mm. um, or they had been cheating on their wives with a nurse or whatever, which wasn't the majority of them, but those were some of the stories. 
And so I was kind of forced to work through my own stuff. We taught about boundaries a lot. We talked about what's happening with you internally. And actually, that was a really helpful job for me personally, even though it was a painful moment that kind of, yeah, there was a lot of growth that happened there. And I realized a lot about. I mean, that's, that's a lot of the, the discomfort of improvisation right? Yes. Like rather than just doing scales mm-hmm. and having to learn and grow and adapt and face yourself. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's easy to not, it's easy to just want to push it aside. Yeah. And I, and I go at this a lot of, we push, we are really good. We are trained to push ourselves aside Yeah, and to leave us at the side to focus on the people we're helping so that we can be professional mm-hmm. rather than personal. And when we go through, and I, I, I hate this like professional or this work-life balance discussion yeah. because I live my life and work is a part of my life. Yeah. And especially for where we're making meaning out of our lives mm-hmm. by devoting so much time, effort, money, thought, power emotion into this this whole thing life is this is life when what we do is just inherently so personal yeah. right well the, the, i think i struggle a lot and have my whole career with the professionalization of helping mm-hmm. and um but i also know without professional standards or without people who know their scales well mm-hmm. helping goes off the rails really absolutely. fast absolutely so, it is really a, a struggle to figure out what the sweet spot is for, mm-hmm. um, and especially now, like, so when I got my master's, my intention was to do community organizing and social justice work. I had no intention of being a clinician. I thought clinicians were selfish, money-grabbing. <laughs> All of that, 100% me too. You, you social workers. Exactly. And here I am, <laughs> right? And uh, there is a part of me that really yeah. struggles with $125 an hour. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's not 40 hours a week and blah, blah, blah. And here's the why. And, and here's mm-hmm. why all that makes sense. Well, and the one person at a time. Yeah. That where's my global impact? I'm supposed <laughs> to be the change. <laughs> I have kind of come to some, some um, sense of being okay with my job isn't to bring the change. It's just to step into whatever change is presented to me or like, I, I kind of like, like the balance isn't going to shift because of any one of us, but we can decide which side we're on and, and that will impact mm-hmm. my experience of life and connection to others. And that's what I want. Mm. The, the other side feels disconnected and selfish and, mm-hmm. and that doesn't f- seem like a fun place to be. Yeah. That's well said. I like that. Yeah. That's really interesting because that's my experience of you. And I think it was formative as a young, aspiring professional counselor. You modeled that willingness to step into the discomfort. If I had a problem or if I had questions or just needed to brainstorm, you know, the the bit that I had been chomping on that Mm -hmm. week, that you would step in and explore that with me. And it was it was your presence more than your expertise. Yeah. That really resonated with me because there's a lot, there's a lot of like experts out there mm-hmm. and uh, big air quotes. <laughs> and <laughs> so, so if we stick with the music example, 
That's a great analogy. Those are the noodly guitar players who t- constantly want to have a solo. <laughs> Freebird. Yeah. Malmstein. So, um, <laughs> a lot of people who like to listen to their own work. Yes. Well, and and I think so. If I if you'd use the jazz this analogy, is a podcast, you know. <laughs> Tread carefully on our egos. <laughs> you guys are totally team players. We are We're literally definitely listening to being ourselves a, talk right now. Getting the band back together. We're <laughs> um, on a mission from God. <laughs> um, but, but when you listen to really good music, musicians are listening to one another. Mm-hmm. And, and some of the best musicians, as, as Miles Davis would say, it's not the notes you play. It's the notes you don't play. Mm. And I think that's true for therapists. Yeah. It's the, can I sit and just be and listen and Mm -hmm. make space? I I can't stand the hold space thing, but whatever. Didn't I just say that? (laughs) Don't know. I wasn't listening. I just said that. I I was too busy talking into a microphone. Yeah. Please stop saying hold space. But okay. But I mean, I get it and I understand. I just, you know, it's. Oh, that reminds me of a cringy, cringy line I I used one time when I was a really young therapist. (laughs) One time. I may have used it a hundred times. Um, <laughs> stop looking at me like that. I believe that. She's already judging you. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm saying it. You, you've said it a bunch, haven't you? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. We'll break that habit. So there's, there's two. There's two. And it's not exactly what I say, but how I say it. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Okay, here we go. I'm not looking at your face. I know you don't have hope right now. But let me hold that hope for you. Just threw up a little bit in my mouth. <laughs> Is your office covered in posters? <laughs> Kittens hanging from trees. <laughs> hanging there. Yeah, and the keep calm and whatever variation you want to. Uh, yeah. Right. Just keep calm. <laughs> Cringy. That was me. That was me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyway, jazz. Jazz. And listen. Listen. Also. Miles Davis said, if you don't feel it, it won't come out of your horn. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You just found a replacement for your cheesy shit. (laughs) There you go. But it's musical, so it's more important and more deep. Try that out this week. If Miles Davis said it, then, you know, cocaine addled. (laughs) He knew what was up. My thoughts are deep. Though. <laughs> if you don't feel it, it won't come out of your horn. Right. And if you don't know the scales, it won't come out of your horn either. Well, it might, but not in the way you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It won't, not, with not, not with any intention. But you can't, if you don't know your scales, you can't give your energy to listening. Then that's where we are when we're new practitioners. Is right. I'm so worried about, oh, shit. What does CBT say I should do next with this problem this person has brought me? Which makes sense. I mean, you got you have to go through all that. But then once you get more and more comfortable, then you can really listen. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, it's like I'm starting to sort of put a couple things together of like how angry I've been at the objectification of our mental health system, like the professionalization of helping, the monification. Is that right? Monetization. Monetization, thank you, of of the work that we do. The medicalization. Yeah, the medicalization for sure. Right. <laughs> the anger comes from like, oh, yeah, if I say the magic words, then it'll magically happen where people will be healed. And it's not that. We all know that. It just reinforces the, the magic wand. Exactly. 
Right. And like if I set set the bone, then it will heal. Or if I give the right medication for that problem in that organ, then it will heal or it won't be a problem anymore. What I, I guess what I'm hearing and what I'm putting together is this really, this dialectic and the synthesis of objective and subjective of mm -hmm. the object and the person. And we, there are certain concrete skills we need to be able to, like you said, put our energy to listening. Mm -hmm. And we need to know it competently enough to do it ethically and to do it with boundaries. And self-awareness. Self mm -hmm. Huge. Read the room. But the pressure is that you, you play a, the big solo. Right. Right. The pressure is you know all the answers and tell me. Be the expert. Yeah, be the expert. And, and it's, it's a lucrative. It is. It, it's so lucrative. And it sometimes feels like it's the only way. Sometimes I have felt like I'm not going to make any money unless I am an expert. Mm -hmm. And I've really been an asshole because of that. Mm -hmm. Like there are times where I just am like, how dare you? Ben? <laughs> like, <laughs> you sound so pompous. Mm. Well, plus you're a white guy with a beard. <laughs> hey, don't forget my glasses. And usually I'm wearing my hat. Oh, hat. Ben and I, I, I didn't really even speak to Ben because I didn't like his hat. That's rude. You mean the, the flat, like, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I like yeah, that look. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I judged the hat. You judged a lot of things, but let's just be honest. <laughs> you, you were a judgment machine. You're a music critic. <laughs> My plate was full. I was kicking shit out all over the place. No space for that. No space for that. No space for that. Nope. 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 No hats here. Mm -mm. I got time for hats. I got time for white boys with hats. Next door playing games. Doing laughing yoga while my girl's over here crying. It's not. We shouldn't be next door to each other. No. Pediatric and. Hey, by that time, we were friends. Boys. Get get off my laughing yoga. Those little kids loved that fucking shit. Yeah. I did too. Did you flip them off? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know it. You know it. It was the what notes not to play. <laughs> See, it's useful, isn't it? That G sharp is right there. You felt it. Came out of the horn. Came right out. Whether you want it to or not. Maybe not everything you feel should come out of your horn. <laughs> um, excuse me, I'm a white man. <laughs> oh, right. Sorry. Your feelings are primary. His horn is primary. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Oh, I think we're done. That's a mic drop. <laughs> Going off the rails. Am I... <laughs> Am I permitted to get to our last question, or did you have a wind down before I? Am I permitted? <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, it's not like you're the co-host. No, I know. I have no ownership of this at all. She's distancing herself <laughs> the, close, the more we talk. Back away slowly. <laughs> I don't think I should be here right now. <laughs> I found myself in the wrong space. <laughs> So I like to know, one of my favorite little subtopics is um, the representation of social workers and therapists in pop culture, movies, TV, books. 
And so take a couple minutes and think about all of those Mm -hmm. supremely positive Mm -hmm. options you have. And it doesn't have to be a good one, but Mm -hmm. what's your favorite? What stands out to you as a representation of us in pop culture? My favorite or one that stands out? (laughs) You can have a couple. The one you love to hate? I don't know if I have a, I don't know if I have, was it Annie Hall where she went and became a social worker? It was, man, it was a Woody Allen movie. Oh, not where, super and the, familiar. In the end, she gave up all the silliness and went and became a social worker. Um, for some reason, that stands out to me. But um, I don't know that I have. The social worker from, was it Batman? I've used that one in class before because she didn't listen. She, and then he went out. It was the, mm-hmm. the bad guy. Like the anyway, Joker then. Yeah. Um. But the ones that come to mind at the moment um, are not necessarily social workers, but therapists. Therapists, like I feel like we see a lot. I mean, what's her name on Sopranos? Terrible, Doctor Melfi. Not a good social worker, or not a good therapist. Mm, no. Um, the boundaries of these therapists. Oh yes. Well, and the one that's currently on air, shrinking. I haven't seen that one yet. And that's got, Harrison Ford, right? Yeah. So it's got, like, I've only watched the first episode because I can't. Mm. Um, but it starts, <laughs> it starts out with the trope of he's the kooky therapist, not Harrison Ford, but the other guy. He's the, he's in his own distress. And so he's mm-hmm. throwing away all the rules. Then he oh, takes right. his client to a boxing gym and then, the, you know, they get ice cream and they sit on the, right. And, and he has this, and the client has a breakthrough, right? Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. Through, just throw throughout the all of out. The, yeah. So, Any professionalist. I, I mean, that stuff make, worries me. Like people are going to come to therapy and be like, so when are we going to have that? When are we going to do that? Right. When are you going to, when are we going to go get ice cream? Yeah. Like, no, no, no. Well, and work it out through, you know, boxing. Of course that's the answer. Yeah. American aggression has to be the answer. All things can be solved through punching. Tropey tropes. Okay. My favorite one to hate Mm -hmm. is Frasier. Oh. The therapist? Yeah, he's a a radio therapist. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And he, or a radio psychiatrist Mm -hmm, or psychologist, mm -hmm. and he is the most immature person that it's cringy. Like, I I watch it and Mm -hmm. I'm just like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I didn't like it when I was a kid, and my parents loved that show. I never liked it either. I did like Stutz, though. The documentary? Yeah, I loved that show. I, I, I have some concerns about what people will take from it and expect from me as a therapist, sure. but I'm not going to tell all my clients I love them. Which show is this? Stutz. It was a documentary. Jonah Hill did a documentary about his therapist. Oh. Yeah. Um, and it's really lovely, and it's, it's an... It has some of that question about what's the boundary between right. personal and professional and, and what's helping and what isn't. And, and I think they have a loving relationship as re- people who respect one another and are doing hard work together that doesn't cross into anything dangerous. Right. But I don't have faith that the masses who are watching that because Jonah Hill is in it mm-hmm. and see his therapist say, I love you, aren't going to come to you know, like oh, they just, that's a high can we put some context? Yeah. Yeah. There does feel like a, a professional relationship on the, fo- in the foundation yeah. of that. Yeah. There are boundaries there uh-huh. for sure. Right. Yeah. And a, a respect of the line, right. Where it's not this like reciprocal 
I'm going to give you, I'm going to give to get, and you're going to fulfill my needs kind of thing. But I think, have you seen it? Because uh-huh. Stutz is your guy. I mean, I love him. He's, he made the inappropriate joke about just sleeping with Jonah's mom, right? That's his, <laughs> that's his middle finger moment. Right. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, yes. yeah, whatever. Oh, I don't know. Jonah's I mom know was exists. like, he would remember. Yeah. And then she played along. Yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> All right then. No, I, I've watched it a couple times because I just love, I loved the, I don't need to get into it, but I, I really liked it. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. I really liked it. Oh, love for our clients. Love job. Yeah. Earmark that one. Love for our clients. <laughs> That's a complicated feeling. Last question is with all of the complications of our personal and needing to be professional, the wonderful and terrible experiences that we have in this work, what do you feel like you need more of going forward to be able to feel like you can sustain the work um, and not feel like you need to leave to survive? What I personally need, uh, I know now, (laughs) Um, I cannot do therapy and therapy alone day in and day out. I know it's not good for me. Um, It's too isolating. I take too much on. I can't process it all. And I really enjoy supervising and having programs to run and having relationships to build and other things where I can be a little bit more myself in the space. Um, <laughs> the first time I did private therapy and as I was leaving, I, I w- would explain to people that like, I do love therapy and I do love hearing people's stories and being present with them. But I want to talk about me. <laughs> like, I like I have an idea about that, right. but I can't say anything. Like I have to just right. interesting. Say more. Mm. Go on. You're like no, I want to. So, um, <laughs> I can do that in short spurts, and I can do that as part of my life. But I need the other piece. So, um, so yeah, I'm hoping right. to find. But I also. Because I am a sprinter and not a marathon person, it's hard for me to find a job and stick with it. Like the place where we worked is the, I worked there longer than anywhere. And that was seven years, I think, which was a pretty good run. Um, But because my, my, my position changed, like there would be a new project or a new thing. And so I'm hoping to find a place where I can kind of land and kind of move through the rest of my career in one place, hopefully near my home. (laughs) <laughs> where sure. I can, there are a variety of things I can kind of engage myself in. And, but I really like some of that bigger picture stuff that initially got me excited about social work. I was mm-hmm. going to, you know, end homelessness. Mm-hmm. So it's still on my to-do list, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, like, mm-hmm. yeah, but I can't be a community organizer because people are annoying <laughs> <laughs> and trying to get them all to come around. Like that's not hurting them. cats. Well, and it's, I mean, it's just that enthusiastic, wonderful, motivating uh, spirit of that is awesome, but it's also naive. And hard to maintain. Yeah. And it's like the, what brought us here won't keep us here yeah. spirit. Yeah. And that it, it, what, it reminds me of what you said earlier of you, you are the best you when you put yourself on the side of 
the change you want to see mm-hmm. rather than try to manipulate yeah. to bring to about. It. Yeah. And yeah, that it's, it's tough to stay there. And, and as a, as a, as a nine, I can see all sides. So it's really hard for me to take a stand and stick with that stand and (laughs) never move from that stand because I can see. Well, but if this, right. Or uh, my approach will be, let's talk about that and let's listen to their needs on the other side of this. And people don't want to hear that. They don't want to be part of that. And so, um, (laughs) that's what I'm, your community. Hey, it's your sobriety. It's uh, not mine. Hands off. I don't yeah, know what to do say. what you want. Yeah, which I wish I, I would like to not have <laughs> such a quick ability to just throw my hands up and be like, I don't know, man, do what you're going to do. I wish I could kind of stick it out a little longer. But the, I mean, it's tough if you really do value people's autonomy and independence and mm-hmm. it's your journey. Yeah. You have I'm to not make up force it. it. You choose. Well, my dad is, an, is a nuclear engineer and, um, so he's, he's a math guy, right? But, um, but his, his saying, I have many of his sayings in my head, but one that he often says anytime I'm trying to fix anything is don't force it. Don't force it. Don't force it. Yeah. Because, you know, in nuclear power, if you force it and it breaks, you're in trouble. Really bad. <laughs> yeah. it's not good. I've seen oh, some documentaries bad. about that, too. We yeah, all did. Yeah. Yeah. We all did. Yeah. He had a very good safety record at his oh. nuclear power plant. But, but anyway, but the don't force it works for, you know building a table <laughs> and work with people. <laughs> Don't force it. Yeah. Stop trying to play all the notes. <laughs> when I was in junior high, I was in the jazz band, right? I played the alto sax. Nice. <laughs> so, um, foreigner was a big, a big deal at the time. My first album that I bought with my own money was foreigner four. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the song <laughs> urgent with the sax, the, Oh yeah. I was going to say that was a prime time for sax in general, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, was yes. Yeah. So the the guy who played the lead tenor every time our band director allowed us to do improv, this dude would play that solo no matter what song. Wow. So we're like playing, you know, string of pearls, and he's like, <laughs> so that's what I think of when forcing it. Like you're not, you're not. <laughs> Right? You're just insisting on playing that same solo, no matter what song is actually in the background. I mean, he was 12, so let's forgive him. But there are lessons to be learned. <laughs> so you're good at CBT, every sudden everyone's got a thinking problem. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I did say to a point where I thought everyone had borderline. This is true. See? Yeah. Head back, wait. Plus, every time you learn a new thing, right? Now everyone, I'm looking at all the parts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And some people are like, I really just want to know about my distorted parts. <laughs> no, no, no. no well, let's look at the parts. Complicated. Yeah, let's get deeper. Yeah, and they're like, no, no, no. Can you just teach me how to breathe? Nope. Mm-mm. You can teach your part how to breathe. Yeah. <laughs> There's a part of you that really wants to breathe. Let's talk about why that is. Yeah. Uh, we get to... Come to your class. Yes. Yeah, you want us to have come. I don't know if that's a smart thing. <laughs> my my son plays cello, and my oldest plays violin, and they've both been playing since they were two. Because my mom used to teach Suzuki or Suzuki right in Ottawa, and they were part of that program. Um, and Suzuki has um, well, they have lots of things that they ask you to do. You can only you only practice on the days that you eat. 
So you practice every day. Um, (laughs) Yeah, because little kids are like, oh, okay, yeah, only on the days I eat. Okay, so um, (laughs) (laughs) that's what I was like. Wait, is it suggesting you not eat? Is there a fasting component to this plan? Clearly, you guys are people who try to get around the rules. (laughs) You're like, how can I make this work for me? (laughs) Maybe a little bit. Because I'm definitely not doing that every day. Let's be clear. So we took many trips to Brazil, kids and instruments playing in the airports. Like we did not miss a day. But they also, you know how they say practice makes perfect. But um, their teacher, and I believe Mr. Suzuki himself used to say, practice makes permanent. So it's not just play your scales. Watch how you're playing them. And because as you practice over and over and over, be intentional because that's what's going to stick. And so I think that can also be applied to us as far as am I being intentional? Am I carefully doing this? Am I, am I setting grooves in my brain that I want to come back? You got my brain going now. So, you know, I don't know. We have like three more hours, right? Oh, excellent. I mean, yeah. You want to skip your class? Yeah. Yeah. I'll yes. be fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. Like it's it's really awesome. Thanks for having me. It was fun. I I I, I do like to talk about myself, <laughs> and I don't get very many opportunities, <laughs> right? <laughs>